What's up, everybody? Welcome to Crypto with Coop. I'm Coop, and this is the spot for fun, informative conversations with influential people in the crypto space. And today, I've got a great one for you. I'm talking to John Woods. John is the new CTO of the Algorand Foundation. He was previously the head of architecture at IOHK, Input Output Hong Kong. Um, you know, basically, IOHK is responsible for the development of the Cardano blockchain. And now he's here, folks. He has a long history. He worked on CBDCs at the Central Bank of Ireland. He worked at Consensus on developer tools. He brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to Algorand. And I think you're going to really enjoy learning more about him. We talk about it all. We talk about CBDCs. We talk about Algorand tech, Cardano tech. We talk about ways that Cardano and Algorand could potentially collaborate. It's a fantastic conversation. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. All right. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with John Woods, the CTO of the Algorand Foundation. First off, how are you doing? Well, it's been an, an intense three weeks, Coop. Uh, I've been at the foundation for the last few weeks and I've been learning so much. Um, yeah. I guess it's one of those things you think when you're working in, in, in computer engineering or you're working in the blockchain space for a number of years, I guess you could become complacent. You kind of think, hey, you know, I kind of have this. I've got a handle on this whole thing. Um, and I guess moving into Algorand, I realized, well, uh, the tech here runs deep. Uh, so there's been right. so much to learn. I guess I've been leveraging the folks at the foundation, uh, trying to get as much information as possible, but also the guys at the Inc. have been super helpful as well. So I've got access, uh, thankfully, to all of the, the brightest minds over there, and they're, they're doing their best to educate me. So it's yeah. been going great, but a lot to learn. I feel like I'm jacked into the matrix. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, there's some guys over at Inc. like Chris Pikert and obviously Silvio McCauley. There's some there's some pretty uh, some pretty talented people over there, aren't there? Absolutely, and I won't start naming names because some of them have been so helpful, and and I, I'll end up like <laughs> not calling Insult one out, and then they, they'll hate yeah. me forever. But yeah, yeah, actually, you know, Chris is great. I was I was watching a video on YouTube earlier about Chris. Uh, was not about Chris, about state proofs, and it was presented mm -hmm. by Chris, and uh, it was just great. And I think. Actually, he reminds me of what I try to model myself after, which is a person who's able to explain complex topics uh, in simple language. I think it's really yeah. important. And that video that Chris did was great because it's like, here's state proofs. Okay, this is a complex thing. Um, mm -hmm. It's got zero knowledge proofs. It's got like exotic cryptography. It's got, you know, I guess, cutting edge engineering, but he explains it in a way that's accessible. And I think that's something that's really important to do. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So I know that there's a lot of people out there in the Algorand community that are excited to get to know you and maybe know a little bit more about your past. So uh, why don't we just start there? How did you, you know, what, where are you coming from? How did you get the blockchain technology and cryptography in general? Yes, it's an interesting question, I guess. Um, hopefully it's interesting to, to, to listen to the answer. Um, one of my buddies, his name is Dylan. Big shout out. He, he'd be very impressed uh, given, given, given the the size of your audience that he's just got to call out right there. Uh, What's uh, up, Dylan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, he came around to my my flat. Flat is like a, an apartment, I think, maybe in American. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was like, it was like back in maybe 2012-ish, maybe late 2012, early 20, 2013. And he was like, I've got to show you this thing called Bitcoin. Now, he and I studied the same computer engineering in, in university or, or college. And... Uh, so we're in the same course together. And, and so we had similar interests and we were both geeks about certain things. We both like Apple stuff and we both liked kind of, you know, whatever was cool at the time, like MP3s or something like back in the eighties or whatever the hell it was. But um, <laughs> he basically came over and he was like, Hey, check this out. Like, uh, and you know, to be quite honest with you, when he first showed it to me, I didn't get the value proposition. Uh, he, he fired up a Bitcoin node, uh, which at the time didn't actually take very long to sync because it was, it was relatively new and mm -hmm. he bought, BTC from eBay. Can you imagine doing that now? Like someone was like 50 BTC on eBay and like he bought it for like, I don't know, like a hundred, a hundred euros, which is like, I don't know, at this point, actually it's a hundred dollars, but uh, yeah. it, used to, it used to be like about $120, $130. Mm -hmm. And like, so he sent me two Bitcoins that night just to show me that he could move value from, from his laptop to, to my desktop computer in, in my apartment. And uh, by the way, I've, I've since lost that 120 grand at its at its peak. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and Good also, job. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, good did job. You, yeah. Did you did you lose? You lost it because it was on a like a hard drive somewhere, or yeah, yeah, you, it, was on, it was on a hard yeah. drive. Did did the whole kind of where's hey mom and dad where's my hard drive? Uh, yeah, so, you know, well, I, I tried to re- I tried to recover it, didn't get it, but but at the time it was only worth like 12, 12 euros or something or twelve dollars. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean that was the first time I was introduced to it. But anyway, I guess what I wanted to kind of highlight was I didn't recognize in that moment the value of this self-sovereignty, this idea that you own your money, not the bank. And I can tell you, right. I've experienced that tonight. I was trying to pay my credit card bill and I paid it. And then my bank's limit for today wouldn't allow me to send my wife uh, as much money as I actually wanted to send her today so she can do something else. So that doesn't feel to me very much like it's my money. It feels like they it's my money, but I'm stemmed a little bank account and or a little right. kind of allowance. I should say. And yeah. uh, that's not very self-sovereign. So didn't get, I didn't immediately understand the self-sovereign value of, of, of Bitcoin. And the other things, which I guess, again, take a little bit further, a little bit more insight, a little bit longer to kind of recognize the value of, are things like censorship resistance. The idea that it's not one government out there that can say, hey, you can spend your money in these places. But you can't send it to this sanctioned country over here for whatever reason we deem is uh, viable in our particular country or domicile. I didn't get the value of permissionlessness, which is, I don't know if permissionlessness is a word, but uh, (laughs) but I I quite like the idea that you don't have to qualify to have a Bitcoin account. And I'm using Bitcoin as an example here. Obviously, Algorand is where my heart is, but it started all. So I'm just using it as an example. Of course, of course. I quite like the idea that it's permissionless in the sense that I remember when I, I, I emigrated from my, 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 my home uh, country of Ireland to the UK, mm-hmm. to London, not a, not a big move, but <laughs> I remember how difficult it was to acquire a bank account, which is, of course, required modernly in a modern living to kind of sustain yourself. Um, yeah. And it requires proof of address. It requires uh, utility bills and other things like that. And, of course, I understand why. I've worked, in regu- I've worked in central banking. I understand you need to have some control on money and stuff like that. But... Mm-hmm. It, it's ultimately, a, it's, it, it excludes certain people who don't qualify. And sometimes mm-hmm. folks don't have the money for a house and don't have utility bills because they can't afford certain things. And ultimately, that's not very cool. And then finally, uh, there's the property of censorship resistance, which I think is very important. And this is just broadly, I, I categorize it as the idea that I can spend my money on what I want to spend it on. And maybe yeah. I'm in a country, a country that doesn't allow a certain religion or a certain behavior and I appreciate we all have to follow laws and stuff, but there's a nicety in in being able to spend your money on something that you that is valuable to you. Um, yeah. So these are these are kind of like I guess quite quite abstract properties of, of cryptocurrencies, but they're things that I value. And 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 it's it's when I realized these when they dawned on me, and it took it took more than that night when I was learning about Bitcoin first and having a couple of beers. It took more than yeah. that night for me to figure this stuff out. But when I did, that's. They're the things, they're the characteristics that made me want to work in this space. And, and, and they're the things that I think uh, are going to change the face of finance uh, in the, in, yeah. in the internet, internet or internet communication age. Absolutely. I had, a, you know, obviously I had a similar journey where I was a bit of a, not that I was a gold bug, but when I thought of like how to hedge and stuff like that, I thought gold was the right thing. And I was always kind of like, well, Bitcoin, what is it backed by? Right. You know, that was my kind of, I did it. it why is there ever going to be value was where I started as well. And it was what you just broke down so great that it was also what got me going and got me to, you know, do what I'm doing. So absolutely. So let you mentioned it. You did. You worked at the Central Bank of Ireland for a bit of a time, right? Yeah, yeah it was a great, a great experience. Uh, it's a wonderful institution and, and uh, well, it's a wonderful institution, but it was a certainly a nice, <laughs> a nice, a nice place to work. Um, <laughs> beautiful building, I'm sure. I'm just kidding. Beautiful building. <laughs> my, my buddy Dylan, the same guy who, who, who introduced me to, to Bitcoin, used to call it the House of Fiat. Um, so, uh, so the thing is, uh, I, I learned a lot there. I, I, I was a solution architect there, and, and what that broadly means uh, in my career of like engineering, computer science, is that um, you're kind of designing systems. And so I learned a lot about how the euro system works. And the euro system, very much like the dollar system run by the Fed and, and, and uh, uh, I guess the Federal Reserve Bank is, is the kind of governing body of, of in the US, right? And the SEC for yeah. exchange yeah. stuff. A regulation, um, yeah. 
regulation yet. So, so kind of the Central Bank of Ireland is kind of the equivalent of the Fed and the SEC kind of wrapped into one more or less. It's like you oh. know, consumer protection, regulation, and that kind of stuff. And so I learned a ton there. It was amazing to be, to be um, what is the word, uh, to experience or to, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know the word, um, to spend some time in that environment where you can kind of see how things are run uh, because it's non-trivial to kind of run uh, a, a national currency. And, um, yeah. and so, yeah, it was great. I think, I think as well, uh, during my time there, I spent a little bit of time esconded the ECB, the European Central Bank, where they were running some kind of uh, proof of concept programs on developing a, a euro coin, right? And I think this is right. an, an interesting an interesting thing. So I learned a ton of stuff there. It was great. Absolutely. Yeah, the euro coin, which other people you know, will know as a central bank digital currency, a CBDC, correct? So you worked on that. And, um, you know, Algorand, um, there was just a paper recently done on Algorand and CBDCs. And obviously, we're not going to, I'm not having you on as the CTO of the Algorand Foundation to make some announcement of, you know, a new CBDC using Algorand. But when that conversation comes up, Algorand is often one of the chains that people propose as a, um, as the basis for maybe a CBDC. Um, what are your thoughts, you know, there's... I've also noticed looking into your privacy is something that you've worked on a lot. And so what are your thoughts about like some people say, well, why would we even need a CBDC? We just need stable coins, USDC and all of that. What what are your thoughts on um, the importance of CBDCs and some of the strengths and some of the uh, potential pitfalls of CBDCs? Yeah, it's, I think it's interesting. It's a very interesting question. And I guess I want to be careful how I answer it. And <laughs> I, I, I think it's, it's important to be authentic uh, in, 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 in answers. So I would say the following and okay. semi-diplomatic semi, 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 uh, answer. Okay. I think there's a very, it's very important that someone can, can work, earn some value, whether, whatever currency it's in, Go to a store or a shop in in the in in, in Europe, and and be able to procure goods and services at a reasonably stable way, right? And and so it's very important that a person, you know, can lay a tile one day, and buy the same you know vegetable or good the next day in a kind of a, a non volatile way. And if we had the kind of extreme volatility that we see sometimes in cryptocurrencies at the moment, by the way, because they're not efficient markets and mm -hmm. uh, when they become efficient, we, I don't think we will see that anymore. And when their market capitalization grows to a point of trillions of dollars, the way it has in, in the other mature markets, I think this will evaporate. But if we saw those kind of current volatilities in national currencies, it wouldn't be a very nice experience as a consumer. And so... No. You got to remember as well. Not every consumer is uh, is, is you know able to, uh, I guess, look after themselves as well as others. We have uh, people who are older, uh, people who are who are maybe um, not as capable of, of looking after themselves. So I think it's really important that they are able to plan ahead. And so national currencies and fiat currencies, the euro, the dollar, etc., they allow that level of stability, and I think it's really important. So I don't think they're going anywhere and nor really do I think they need to go anywhere. I think that the cryptocurrencies that we have now, and I'll get onto that in a second, are going to be a complement to the existing national currencies. Right. About a, about a CDBC directly. Um, I think that CDBCs are important because I guess it's the natural evolution of money. So like, you know, we started with things like salt and then you, you mentioned like gold uh, and, and, you know, this, this idea of coins. And then of course you've got like, as, as Andreas Antonopoulos, I think he said something like it then it matured to, to like, you know, dollar bills and then it goes to plastic money. And, and now we're in an age where we have digital money, both in the, in the Euro and the dollar. And indeed we have internet native money in, in things like Bitcoin, Algorand, uh, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I think the issuance of central bank as uh, you know fiat or or central bank backed money which uh, and the, and the right of issuance of issuing such a currency is called the the you know the act of seniorage this idea that you can actually issue money 
it's it's something that will benefit from the digital age. It'll benefit from being a central, uh, you know, a CDBC. But there are drawbacks. So so the benefits are well, we don't have to worry about minting coins, and we don't have to worry about distribution of of, of notes anymore, and we don't have to worry about replacing notes. Which, by the way, is very expensive to kind of create these things, ship them out to the to to, to the economy, to the banks, to the people to destroy the ones that are either counterfeit or are, um, for example, uh, the, the notes are just too old and they're torn and they're no longer uh, you know, useful. This whole process is actually involves hundreds of thousands of people nationally across, across countries, and it costs millions, tens of millions of dollars to do on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. And that's not free. There's carbon there. There's, there's energy used in that process. So CDBCs right. actually have a lot of value in the sense that um, they're going to eliminate some of those things mm-hmm. or all of them mentioned there but where i'm nervous about cdbcs is that they will give greater insight and control of governments upon how people interact with money now i don't want to sound like a tinfoil hat person but ultimately i think it's it's broadly understood that the control of the money supply is ultimately uh somewhat control of the people if you can control inflation you control how people how people spend if you can control you control things like quantitative easing you control again how people behave to some degree not not on a day to day action action basis, but, but 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 macroscopically. Yeah. So so when CDBCs actually become mainstream, expect the following: folks will have, I feel, less control on their spending habits because it will be easier to enact these changes in monetary supply. Mm-hmm. Folks will have less privacy because with a digital version of the euro or the dollar or any other currency, visibility into what folks are doing what people are spending their money on will be much easier to do. Regulation and oversight is much easier. I mean, right now I can take a 50 euro note or a $50 bill. I can head down to the store. I can buy $50, $50 worth of sugar or $50 worth of alcohol. And, yeah. and whether that's good or bad for me is, I guess it's, it's up to the, up to the, the, the viewer, but, but at the end of the day, there's something I think important in, in that ability to make that decision with, with the money that you earn. And so I can see a world where, for example, with CDBCs, um, people pay more for their health insurance because they drink too much alcohol and that's known because of the lack of privacy. Oh, maybe yeah. that's a good thing. I mean, maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. I, I'm not really judging it, but these are these are potential implications of such a... Yeah. Such a- I didn't like, it hadn't actually occurred to me exactly. Like if I have a track record of, uh, you know, going to the liquor store every night and then if a health care, you know, if an insurance company can track that, like... Yeah, they may think I'm a liability. That is something. And then there's also the idea that if you live in, if you, you know, not to, if you live in a country where they have things like social credit and they can turn the money off and, you know, or whatever that you, that you can't buy, you can't purchase, or they make cash illegal. So it's a, it's a, it's a dicey subject that I'm constantly trying to kind of evolve and learn more about. But so I think that last point you made is a really, really interesting one. It's like, if I have a programmable dollar, like if I can if I can put logic into my dollar or logic into my euro, then I can say, well, hey, this is like a rebate from the government for some reason. This is, uh, I don't know what you call it in, in, in the US, but say, um, uh, I clearly don't know what they call it here either. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a, social, a social security payment or something like that. Some money you get as a benefit from the government for some reason. Right. You're unemployed, or you, or or you can't work, or something. Yeah, else. some benefit. Um, but, yeah, but but let's let, let's say you have you you, you can't work. Uh, maybe the government issues you uh, twenty bucks of of CDBC. Uh, but maybe your twenty bucks comes with the restriction that when you try to tap your phone uh, in, or your issued government card in in you know Costco, it doesn't let, allow you buy certain goods because the government says, well, I'm comfortable with everything, but I'm not letting you buy a packet of uh, of Rolos or Hershey's or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. these are, these are, I guess they're ethical questions or social questions. I, I, I don't know if they've been answered and maybe the first iteration of a CDBC won't have any of these restrictions. And it sounds like I'm a bit tinfoil hat at the moment, but you got to remember, <laughs> this is really w- where it's going. And, and I think we yeah. have to be aware of that. And that brings me to my final point, which is, this is why I'm so, um, fascinated and also excited by the cryptocurrency space in general, because I believe in the value of these things, the self-sovereign, the censorship resistance, et cetera. I believe in the value of these things as a complement to and a hedge for government-issued currencies. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really do. Absolutely. 
And um, okay, we're going to move on. We don't need to have this entire interview be about CBDCs. But well, I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there would, that would look at something like a welfare payment and having limitations on what you can use that welfare payment for as, sure. a, as a positive thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but okay. So moving no, no, on. It's, it's, so, and by the way, that's totally true. It is totally true. But again, it's, yeah. it's, it's not, we have to recognize we're into a new, we're in uncharted territory in that context. Well, absolutely. And we always have to be careful because once you do one thing, it can lead to the next thing. And then so, okay, sure, you like the fact that somebody's limited on what they can purchase with welfare. But will you be limit? Will you be happy when your paycheck comes in and you're limited because you checked yourself into a rehab once in your life or something like that? Exactly. Oh, man, what a mess. It, I mean, it's exciting. Everything is exciting. And technology and progress is exciting. And then it's also, you know, concerning. Sometimes, yes. Okay, so but let's let's talk about some of your your past. Also, that it's probably more has to do with what you're doing over there at Algorand. Like you were at Consensus for a while, and I know Stacy. I've been to a couple of these um, conventions, and I've been to I've listened to her speak, and even I think your announcement of coming to Algorand is very excited about the different developer tools and what we can bring to Algorand to help developers. And obviously Consensus is the premier place, you know, MetaMask and Truffle and, and things like that coming from Consensus. So why don't you talk a little bit about your time at Consensus and how that experience is gonna help you think um, Algorand? Sure, absolutely. It's an interesting question. Um, so I worked in Consensus within Europe and I worked uh, in the professional services arm. So this is like, where consensus would do, I guess, bespoke engagements with various companies. So maybe Shell or Deutsche Bank or, you know, Citibank or, you know, a a bunch of different uh, firms would want to do a project on blockchain because they're compelled by the benefits that it brings. Yeah. And so so within consensus, they had various, um, I guess, circles. And MetaMask was one of them, and they were focused on the wallets. And there's there's many other examples of, of, of different yeah. kind of projects that they had. But I was really uh, part. Of, well, I, my my role there was leading out architecture and applied cryptography. So mm-hmm. I used to work on both of those things. So building out how we would do things architecturally, software wise, uh, with our bespoke engagements, and also working on what are the what are the primitives, the cryptographic primitives we're going to be using to build out this solution in the most elegant way. So professional services. Was was really you know I guess where consensus made its made its money maybe not anymore because MetaMask and, and other things that are so so successful, but but consensus was great for me it was it was a huge learning curve, it was my first time working, you know professionally uh, as in being directly paid for it in in crypto, um, right. and uh, yeah I, I learned an absolute ton it was it was an amazing experience, um, I think, well, I got to work on some of their biggest client engagements I guess. Um, we built, uh, there's one called Covantis, which is coming out now. And I was, I was the lead architect on that. And I let out the, the, uh, entire development of its, of its, of, of the kind of the system architecture and, and design. And that was about revolutionizing how, uh, post-trade settlement will be done in an agricultural, agricultural trade context. So mm. that's a lot of words probably, but what it means is there's bananas grown on a tree and bananas sold in, in the store. It's like, how do we, well, you wouldn't believe, by the way, Coop, the number of steps between bananas in the tree and bananas in the store. There's like, <laughs> there's like guys who buy and sell them by the by the like the megaton on a ship. If the ship arrives late, there's a penalty. If the ship's too wide in the port, if the sun's too high in the sky, there's another penalty. Um, there's you know where they fumigated, where they not. Was the farmer aware of something? Where they not? What breed of banana are they? So the the agricultural trading world. Is incredibly sophisticated, and uh, and it turns out the the operational work you've got to do uh, in terms of I guess um, netting out the positions of all these trades and interactions from the tree all the way to, to the store is really is really uh, consuming uh, in terms of computational cycles and indeed uh, work hours. So right, um, one of Consensus's big wins was building out a product called Covantis, which was an agricultural trading. Um, and settlement solution, which would basically use the blockchain to build a layer of trust from the from the farmer all the way to the store, and everyone got settled fairly all along the way, and everyone had transparency where it was appropriate. So there's some privacy, but 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 only where it was appropriate. And so 
that was one of the that was one of the kind of types of things I got to build there. And I guess it was all on Ethereum because consensus. I'm not sure now, but I think it still is very much focused on Ethereum. Right. And um, yeah, I, I guess when you're in, when you're engaged in an enterprise level solution of that magnitude, where you're dealing with big industry players that are heavily invested in this kind of technology, and you're you're carte blanche on the solution, so you can design whatever you wish. Uh, and I'm surrounded by really smart people. I mean, it's a great environment because you're using yeah. blockchain in a kind of a greenfield way. Okay, guys, we have this problem. How do we make it better using blockchain? You go into a room, you eat some pizza, drink some beer, and you come out with a great solution. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't always fun. It wasn't, it, wasn't always, <laughs> it wasn't always as fun as that. There was some late late night work where there was no beer. But um, yeah, yeah it was, it was, it was <laughs> lots of coffee. Experience. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, experience. and I can imagine with that specific solution that you're talking about. It's probably a huge advantage to a farmer, right? Like it seems like to me that the farmer is the guy that often gets really kind of beat up by a lot of these different steps and middlemen and all of this stuff. So in the end, I mean, because I know that Algorand is recently uh, partnered with Nigeria, and um, mm -hmm. I'm sure that these types of solutions are being built and worked on for farmers in Nigeria, for example. Is that is that something that? So, so yeah, so I haven't got direct exposure at the moment to the kind of things we're doing uh, in terms of professional services on Algorand, mm -hmm. but I do agree with you. I think that, I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why I came to Algorand, um, mm -hmm. but one of them is the sustainable green nature of the blockchain, how it's, how it's like fundamentally sustainable because yeah. the cost of execution, the cost of running is so low and the speed at which transactions happen and the liveness with which applications can enjoy execution is so great that you can actually use it to be fit for purpose for something like a national engagement as you might have uh, with a country uh, like Nigeria right. or otherwise. So yeah. it's it's a very exciting prospect. And um, yeah, uh, what else did I want to say? I just, I, I just think that like, Although I don't have insight right now into exactly how things are going to look, I just think it's really important that we use these kind of technologies to empower as many people as possible. Now, yeah. I'm not trying to be a bleeding heart about egalitarianism. I'm not trying to be like, oh, the world must be completely equal for everyone, because I don't think that is really economically viable or really practical. I mean, you're always going to have people who are at different ends of the spectrum. You're always going to have billionaires, and you're always going to have people who, unfortunately, don't have a place to stay or don't have enough to eat. I don't think that we're going to resolve that uh, until we have like Star Trek Enterprise kind of technology. But what I would what I what I would say is that I think just like the internet has done, as an example with communication. So like I remember as a kid, my uncle traveled to the United States. He lived in New York, you know, back in the in the late 80s. And I remember like my parents trying to call him, and it was like this big deal to call the uncle in the United States. And it was like you know he sounded far away on the on the on the cell on the on the telephone. And like, you know, there was a delay, a noticeable delay when I'd say, hello, you'd be waiting, yeah. waiting, hi, you know, this kind of thing. And yeah. I, I, the internet has emancipated a lot of people from that. And by the way, that call was really expensive. It was like, you know, uh, you know, $2 a minute, $3 a minute, this kind of, or whatever it was at the time. And, right. and so now we can do uh, basically global communication for free, global text messaging for free, global calls for free. And it's, the internet's just, it's leveled the playing field. And so yeah. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I think blockchain has that same power from a financial and, and in some ways, um, I guess, operational perspective. It can level the playing field. It can make things a little bit easier and spread things a little bit more, more kind of fairly across, across folks. So I think that's what we should be focused on. It's like, how can we use the tech to deliver egalitarian value uh, to people at a large scale? That's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you mentioned it, the reasons why you came to Algorand and we're now we've, I'm sure that we know we're a few, we're about a half hour in and people are like, okay, are you going to mention Cardano Cooper? Like what's going on? But you know, so you recently uh, just came over from uh, what is it? Input output, the, the, basically the foundation over there at Cardano, right? That's what that is. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, input output HK or sorry, input output Hong Kong. Uh, or sometimes known as IOG or Input Epic Global is is the is the Algorand Inc. Effectively, oh, it's the Inc. Right, that's right. And so, um, exactly. So, and there's two things. There's one thing that is very similar between um, 
Algorand and Cardano is basically banking the unbanked. And I feel like you were just touching, you were touching on that a bit too. So there is a lot of similar values. I mean, so look, I'm going to read the tweet that Charles Hoskinson uh, tweeted when you got um, over at Al. He, it was a really, uh, it was a really generous uh, tweet from Charles. He said, I'm delighted to see John step up as a CTO and it opens up many great opportunities for future collaboration and research. I think that's interesting. We should talk about that. And then Algorand is an excellent project with exceptional people. I agree with Charles. And um, and I'm excited. I'm excited that you're here as well. So maybe talk a little bit about your um, experience at Cardano and then um, how that kind of concluded and how you ended up over at Algorand to start. Sure. Uh, good question. Uh, a minefield. <laughs> Simple, right? That's, that's all I wanted to know. Yeah. yeah. All the different things. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, okay. So I left consensus because I didn't feel like I was doing any more interesting enough things. And I didn't feel any more that I was valued in the way that I thought was appropriate. And that's the honest truth of it. And so I spent some time at Informatica, which was uh, kind of, right. you know, TradFi company. Actually, they aren't even in finance. They're in big data. And, and they were, it's a very cool place to work. And I really enjoyed my time there. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was there, I focused on cryptographic engineering and, and cloud security. So it was kind of something I was, I was personally interested in. And it was something that naturally fit my background in, in, in terms of cryptography and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, actually, you did ask earlier on how I got interested in cryptography. And I didn't answer it, but maybe we can do that later. Um, okay. So, so then, yeah, I moved into IOHK from there because I got a bite at an apple uh, that I felt was really interesting. IOHK had tried to hire me. Um, I think I can say this. Uh, you know, about a year before or a year and a half before, I actually, I actually joined them, and and I didn't feel that the role at the time was what I wanted to do. And then, uh, but I built a relationship there during that process, and and so I still had the guys' numbers in my phone and stuff. So. So when, when they came back to me and they said, hey, there's this kind of opportunity, right, to be, uh, you know, the, the chief architect or director of architecture on, on Cardano, I mean, uh, that was a role I was interested in. So, right. so I joined and it was, it was great. Uh, I think that they have, like, some of the greatest engineers. And yes, like, in, in Algorand, there's no doubt from Silvio to Tal, to the guys that I work with now, I've mentioned names now. I got to like mention everyone's names, like Fabrice and Hugo and and Shai and 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 the guys at the Ink and Paul and John and Gary and and everyone at the Ink and Chris and I, there's so many of them. Um, these people are world class, like they're world class. They're the Messi, the Ronaldo, they're the Tiger Woods. They're like they're world class. They honestly are world yeah. class people. And when you're playing with them, sorry, playing when you're working with them, you were like, <laughs> you're like learning every day. It's like the greatest, the greatest thing. Um, so I felt like that when I went to Cardano because, you know, the guys over there, they're world class, and yeah. and so that was amazing. And it was like being like like it is now being jacked into the matrix. You know, like this this I, I sound like such an maybe an eighties or nineties kid, but you know I love the matrix. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know when they, when they jack the needle thing in, you're just like getting yeah. downloaded all the information, and. They were really kind with me. I felt like the engineering guys over there, I'm not going to start naming names because I'll leave someone out, but they, they spent so much time answering all my stupid questions. And I came up the curve really fast and it was great. Um, what can I say? I, I think I really like the way they approach software design. I think the formal methods approach is quite cool. This idea that you try to verify your software mathematically, you know, mm -hmm. it's quite a colloquial description, but that's kind of how it is. Um, I really like their attention to detail in terms of benchmarking and how they're going to release things. They make sure they test everything to the nth degree. They make sure it performs perfectly before they, they release it. And yeah, I mean, their engineering benchmarking cryptography teams are, are just stellar. So it was a wonderful experience. Um, now, where do I go from there? <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I felt valued there and I felt like I was a very important part of the team. And yeah. things were really good. And then I was approached for CTO at Algorand. And of course, I knew Algorand because at Cardano, we use the, the cryptography code, the VRF, uh, the verifiable mm -hmm. random uh, function, which is, which is, by the way, you know, it's, 
it's an it's a really nice cryptographic primitive and maybe sometime you and i could do a show where i walk through some of the techie stuff and it'd be quite cool so i won't go into it ah, right please now. It, the, yeah it i would love to yeah tell me well, and I, I'm just, I was going to say, sorry to, um, to interrupt, but I know that um, there's people interested in like maybe learning how to run a participation node. And some of that, sure. if you were willing to come on and go through some of this technical stuff, I'm absolutely willing to, I, I want to learn and everything as well. So, and I know my audience does too. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. And we can even go into some of the, the other, the, the math or even, even the cryptographic stuff, because it's actually not that hard. Um, cool. But, well, it's certainly hard to come up with it, but it's not that hard to explain. Um, <laughs> um, right. So... I, I knew about Algorand because we use the VRF, the Verifiable Random Function, and, and we use this uh, within Algorand to select uh, the next kind of block creator. And, and similarly in Cardano, they, they use it uh, to select the, the next, uh, you know, um, what do they, what, what is it called? My God, I've only been gone a couple of weeks. I've totally forgotten. <laughs> well, you're you're learning a, a new thing here, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the SPOs, rather. The SPOs, yeah. uh, the stick pool operators use it to select uh, it's used to like which SPO is going to create the next block. Yeah, and so um, so I knew uh, Algorand was was legit, right? Because projects are using their code, they're using their inventions. So I was yeah. like, hmm, this must be something special. So I looked into Car into Algorand rather, and uh, you know, man, that is a rabbit hole that runs deep. Uh, the AVM is is really great. I think that the architecture is beautiful. Pure proof of stake as a consensus mechanism is so elegant. And whilst we have some work to do in terms of decentralization of the relay nodes, they are decentralized, but I want them not just technically decentralized, I want them spiritually decentralized where genuinely anyone can run one. Like it is, the tech within Algorand is so compelling. I felt like it was fit for purpose for a rollout of, of decentralized apps at a global level where no one would wait. And so I needed to be part of that story. I needed to be part of bringing that. Now, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to take, uh, take any credit for uh, all the work that's been done to get Algorand to where it impressed me because I was impressed because all of this work had been done by actual engineers to the point where I was impressed. And, yeah. and since I've joined, people have been doing the really hard work <laughs> since I've joined. So it won't be me, it won't be me who will have brought this uh, miracle to the world, but I want to be <laughs> part, of, the, part of that story. Um, yeah. And so that, that was the most compelling reason I left. Of course, it was exciting to be CTO, to step up to that level, yeah. as Charles alluded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, it was sad to leave behind, you know, uh, nearly a year of, of hard work, of hard learning. I mean, I, I killed myself trying to learn that, that Cardano stack. It, it's, it's very sophisticated also. I put my heart and soul into it for, for nine or 10 months. Uh, I just built relationships with all the guys and girls at, 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 the, uh, at the company. I'd planned things with them. I, I had committed to things. So of course, whenever you move from something like that, you are not only, I feel like you're letting people down, but also you, you, you're, you're making a big life change. Yeah, it was a tough decision, uh, you know, with all of the factors considered. But when when I looked at uh, just the the value proposition of Algorand and 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 the value I could hopefully bring, I just had to take it. That's I hope that I've no that you answered it, and I think the answer is is that there's no scandal here, right? You loved right. it over there, and you are were excited about the possibilities of Algorand and this new position, and um. You know, there was another part of that tweet that I read about future collaboration and research. He seems because, you know, Charles isn't shy about saying his admiration for Silvio and um, and that he thinks that Algorand's a good project. And that's, sure. you know, that's that's is cool. And um, but I guess I guess, you know, you as a CTO at the foundation, that's a, a good connection to have <laughs> um, what. What I mean, maybe I'm not that I'm saying that you guys have anything going or anything that if you have something you can't talk about, whatever. But um, what kind of collaboration do you see that could be possible between Algorand and Cardano? Yeah, well, it's a good question. I think both of these blockchains are both credible. They're both authentic and credible and have real technology, with real uh, people who are really smart. So that, that's that's <laughs> the checkbox number one. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, Number two, I think it's really important to try to, I don't want to say migrate or pull, but like 
to attract actually as many developers from Ethereum and, and the other chains that I feel maybe aren't as fit for purpose over to blockchains like Algorand. Right. So I have spoken uh, very briefly to Charles on a single call and I've spoken uh, to the other senior executives at Cardano before I left around the concept of collaboration. And there are certain areas where I think that there's immediate immediate value. I mean, uh, so I'm not speaking for these guys or these girls. I'm, I'm just speaking for myself. But where I would see immediate value, and by the way, I think that they largely would have interest in it. And I think they're largely interested in, in, in well, I know that they're interested in progressing the space, not just not just themselves. So mm -hmm. where, I, where I would see immediate value is in uh, blockchain interoperability. And look, there's a ton of things happening from wormhole to... You know, there, there's so many different chains that there. I won't even bother mentioning them. But Ch Chainlink, there's a whole bunch of them that are that are trying to do this. But I, I really like the idea of doing something as a standard in terms of interoperability. So something like stake proofs, which are very sexy. <laughs> Not everyone call that sexy, but a sexy. Uh, my audience, very... I think my audience does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, and, and very very elegant, uh, I guess, way to photograph the essence of a chain and prove it to another chain. And again, that's something that we should deep, in, deep dive into because it's a really super interesting area. Um, right. And so this makes building bridges really easy, right? Because if you can say, hey man, you can trust this. This is like a tiny little bit of information. I don't know why I'm doing this because this is like, it's actually quite small. Like, hey, you can trust <laughs> this. It's, it's very tiny and, and you know, uh, this, with this, I can prove the coins that you think are locked up on the other chain are locked up, and you can release the ones on your chain so the bridge is done. Mm -hmm. If I can do that using math, well, that's a hell of a lot more interesting to me than doing it with, with I guess, another chain or through another counterparty or otherwise. So yeah, yeah. Where, where I can use mathematics and trustless, a, a, a kind of a trustless mechanism, that to yeah. me is, is, is probably the most elegant. So that's one area. I think is really interesting, and I think it will be great to collaborate with with a chain like Cardano, which is clearly cool. And um, so, if we could do it, I would love it because I think if you take the credibility of Algorand, credibility of Cardano, and we both confirm that hey, we're going to use this particular, say for example, a state proof as an example, it doesn't have mm -hmm. to be uh, as the the primitive that we used for for cross chain communication. We say hey, every bridge out there, just use. All you got to do is open up your smart contract and accept this ZKP, sorry, this uh, you know zero knowledge uh, proof, and mm -hmm. you have straight away, you have a post quantum. Sorry, I should stop using so many buzzwords. A quantum resistant, because of course, mm -hmm. the Falcon signatures that we use, which are a lattice based post quantum scheme, do not. We are not absolutely certain about its post quantum properties yet, of course, but NIST is pretty certain. And um, you have you have a, 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 a you know future future secure ish. We think. A uh, way to do cross blockchain comms in a very elegant way, in a very efficient, low fee way. Why wouldn't you take that? And if Cardano and Algorand do it together, I think the floodgates will open when they see the two big brainers, right? The big thinkers in the blockchain space. Yeah, absolutely. That's together, right? That's what that's what it's about. So uh, that's what I'm thinking that's there. Exciting. Another another area. Sorry, Coop. I keep I keep putting you off. Another area. Too much to say. Uh, is maybe smart uh, smart contract uh, or or um, script audit. So I think I'm keen to eliminate danger for consumers using blockchain. When you get bitten, you don't go back. And I want to make right. it so that less and less folks lose their money or get hurt financially or or otherwise. So mm -hmm. I think if we standardize in a way, like if you look at Open Zeppelin and things like that, I think they've done a good job in terms of trying to like take the teeth out of some of the, the contract development. I think if we could standardize audit, it's such an expensive thing. There's so yeah. many, I can say, every time we develop something, something sophisticated, the audit process is killer. It takes so long, it's so expensive. And it's prohibitively expensive for some small firms who have great ideas, but don't have the money. If we could, if we could try to, standardize that in a way that's just easier i think it would foster innovation so there there might there my two areas charles if you're listening reach out i'm always there <laughs> well that sounds fantastic and i think that you're absolutely right in the sense that you know with silvio and charles and that the the academia that exists in both of those men you know and um and just in the gravitas and the fact that they kind of lead the way with this other 
chains will follow. And if they don't, we'll we'll just talk to each other and send NFTs to each other or something. It'll be great. It'll be great. Exactly. They have some good looking stuff over there too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, by the way, at least at least we've been doing it on the cheap, right? You're only paying fifty dollars to transfer it, so that's great. I know, right? It's very cheap. Um, so okay, I mean, I. I mean, that all sounds so good. I mean, I was going to ask you maybe like what you kind of see as some of the differences of Algorand and Cardano. I guess I'll ask that to you, um, you know, briefly is like what? Uh, sorry. Here's a, I was gonna here's a, here's I was, a dangerous question. I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Here's, here's, a, here's some potential for you to upset people. So what are the, so what are the differences? What are like, what are some of the things that you see maybe are a strength over at Algorand, maybe, or a strength at Cardano, frankly. Yeah, okay. Uh, I can do that. Um, okay. So, <laughs> so, well, there's, there's, some, there's some fundamental differences. For example, the UTXL model versus the account-based model. Yeah, exactly. And so, so, like, it lends itself differently in different ways. So there are some things that UTXO is really, really great at, and there's some things that account-based models are really, really great at. And I, I don't think it's it's that dissimilar to kind of like, you know, modern computing. It's like your iPhone is amazing, right? I mean, if you benchmark your iPhone and benchmark your your desktop Intel Xeon chip in single core, they're go, they're going to be basically the same. I mean, but the thing is, one of them is in your pocket in the pub, or you know, when you're when you're down, uh, you know, in a restaurant and you're enjoying a glass of wine, and you're able to to browse, you know, websites, and it's super convenient, super great. And it's super mm -hmm. snappy, but it's not gonna it's not gonna sustain a workload of like you know uh, a render uh, of some kind of like three D model over the course of twenty four hours. Similarly, right. you know you've got your server computer at home, your Intel Xeon, or your 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 high end chip. Again, it, it's power hungry and it's got it's got it, but it's it, it's it's great for rendering out your Blender renders or your your Toy Story render. But it's what it's not gonna do is be a great experience for browsing the web. So I think. You know, similarly, I mean, that maybe wasn't the most elegant analogy, but, you know, I'm, what I'm trying to say is UTXO is good for some things, account base is, is good for others, or Excel at others. Right. So I do think certain application models, when they're built on Cardano with UTXO, can make sense, and they can be, I think, um, highly, highly concurrent in a way, um, because you can spend, of course, many UTXOs in a single transaction. Right. At the same time, if I look at something uh, like Algorand, Clearly, I mean, it's more compelling for me now because I'm here. Um, but uh, in, 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 in genuine, being genuine and, 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 and being completely transparent, as I mentioned earlier on, it's fit for global purpose. The settlement times, and we don't even have to go into where that will be at the end of the year because we're inflating numbers that are already inflated compared to, to everyone else out there. Right. Whether it's 4,000, 10,000, 20,000, doesn't matter. It's already, it's already too much. Whether it's four-second right. finality or two-second finality, it's already fast enough. If I'm, in, right. if I'm in the store and I'm tapping my Visa card, uh, which I don't do because I use crypto all the time, and you should do by Algorand, is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, is, uh, you know, it takes a couple of seconds to go through anyway, right? You tap it, you're waiting for the cashier to kind of give you the nod that, yeah, it went through, right? I mean, yeah. that's where Algorand is right now. And, 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 and so... So yeah, I, I think where Algorand excels is that it's just so fast, so live, and 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 so so you know ready to be the platform on which some of the most compelling Web three apps are built. Or I think over the next five years, uh, that's why yeah. I'm I'm here and I've chosen Algorand. That's right. Cardano okay. is so cool. Cardano is so cool. Yeah, yeah. So, see, there we go. That's. I think that this is the energy we need, right? Like, look. I mean, Cardano is excellent too. So, I mean, the, the, you know. So, okay. <laughs> and you you touched on it. You know, as we kind of wrap up, there are, and I think you make a great point, right? Is four second finality, two second finality, a thousand transactions per second, ten thousand transactions per second. At this point, how many transactions per second do we even actually need, right? I mean, that's that's the issue. So I, I think a lot of people want to see these things from a I, I'm potentially marketing standpoint. They want to see, okay, well, we're the fastest, and it's like, but it's it's all happening, and it seems like it can happen when it's needed, right? So what is what? Where are we in Algorand with some of these upgrades and um, you know updates? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I, let me just say this, just interject uh, one point, which is like 
transactions per second are not, are not a very good measurement. And it's something I felt when I was working at Cardano, and it's also something I feel now. Um, working at Cardano, I mean, working at, at IOHK. Um, and yeah. because you've got to be real, again, it's about authenticity, real in your numbers. I mean, I could launch a network that maybe has 100,000 transactions a second or a million transactions per second. But if, if my protocol requires 99% uh, of those transactions per second to achieve consensus, then that's not very functional. It's not a very good metric by which right. to, to define something. So, so yeah, so I, I guess I'd like to us to kind of steer away from transactions per second because so many protocols out there are now quoting numbers that are like up the wazoo. They're like insane, you know. Like oh, Solana, right? Solana does that, don't they? I, I'm, I'm, I'm not naming any names, Coop. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Solana, right? We can, now, I, I, I'm being nice to Cardano. You don't have to be nice to Solana. I'm just kidding. All right, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's okay, true. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I'm, teasing, like, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. You try to get me, but you can't get me. I'm too fast. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, no, but, but like, yeah, you know, there, there are some. And, and so, yeah, yeah I, I want to be meaningful in, in what we say. And, and for me, it's like maybe value per second. Or that's not a very good, that doesn't have sound very uh, sensible. But there's some metric that we should get to where it construes, you know, uh, some actual value. Um, so, yeah, transactions per yeah. second are funny. So, yeah, they're not. Uh, so, largely, yeah, where are we going? So, again, I'm not on the protocol side anymore. So, I guess what I'm trying to say there, I was I was very much in the, in the weeds in the protocol uh, for Cardano, and that was great. Um, and now, you know, it's it's really you know uh, Paul and, uh, Regal and Gary Malouf and other uh, leaders at the Inc that are the that are really setting the the roadmap for for the protocol for Algorand at its core. Right. So really, my focus is is on developer education and making the developer experience better. Maybe we can talk about that briefly um, in a moment. Yeah. Um. But yeah, what I want to try and do is, I guess, really. And try to help and enable these guys as much as possible. Try to um, be a catalyst for the success of the protocol as much as possible, so that as they build this great stuff, I'm also there in the sidelines, like helping bring as many people as possible to the platform. In terms of yeah. like what are the ex exciting updates that are coming over the kind of next kind of half a year or so, we've got state proofs launching. I probably I know I actually have a number in my head of, of weeks as before we. We're we're launching them, but I don't want to say it because I'll probably upset someone. But okay. can I say can I say soon, very soon? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We have uh, upgrades to the finality time, dropping from four seconds uh, down to sub four. Uh, we have uh, an upgrade in transactions per second, um, a material upgrade, nearly nearly uh, you know two x. Um, and there's a whole slew of performance enhancements, uh, new things in the ABM, the whole lot. Really cool stuff. And by the way, I'll be able to give a more coherent uh, update on that as I learn more and have more time to spend with the Inc. guys. Absolutely. So let's do, or, or, go ahead, finish what you were going to no, say. Please, no, no, I, I, I was doing this thing. Oh, okay, great. So let's pivot to what you said. Let's talk about how you know you're focused on creating a, a, a more favorable environment for developers to come and build on Algorand. So, um, what, so what what does that look like? What are you what are you doing there? Yeah. So it's I mean, it's it's super it's super interesting. I, I, I've only spent you know three weeks kind of really uh, all day every day looking at this. Um, so it's not been that long in terms of understanding the context. But I would say that teal right. It's cool, but teal, teal. I'm not talking about pie teal. I'm talking about teal here. It's like mm -hmm. assembly. So I don't know if folks know, but just like super, super quick, kind of what is assembly? Assembly is like, like human readable instructions that correspond to processor actions. So whether it's an x86 processor or an ARM processor or a MIPS processor or some other processor, you you will have instructions in that chip that do certain things you know add two numbers divide maybe not divide but uh you know move 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 data around um and and ultimately the assembly is like a way to kind of say push this number in here pop it out there you know add these two things together and so assembly can be think thought of as kind of like the lowest level human readable code after assembly it goes down to like ones and zeros which we call machine code but ultimately mm -hmm. these ones and zeros can be sliced into chunks and as they get pushed through the processor as like five volts, zero volts, or maybe three volts, zero volts, 
the processor interprets them as these instructions and does things. So I like to think of teal as assembly. It's like the instructions you can tell the AVM to do. And I like to think of the AVM, it's the Algorand virtual machine. There's an Ethereum virtual machine. There's a Java virtual machine, the JVM that people write Java code on. Mm -hmm. um, I won't get into, into that to, tonight but, uh, or today, but, uh, but ultimately the AVM is really like a little CPU and it's able to execute certain code. So Teal right. is like a representation of the things we can ask that CPU to do. Mm -hmm. Should we write things in Teal? That's like asking, should we write things in x86 assembly? What is x86? x86 is the Intel instruction set for, you know, if you have a computer bought in the last 20 years and it's Intel uh, based, it'll be from Dell or otherwise, it'll be x86. Right Now, did the guys and girls who wrote Chrome or wrote, insert your favorite up here, uh, Netflix or whatever else, did they write it in assembly? Did they get down into that low level thing? No, I don't think so. Maybe in some cases. And those cases, by the mm -hmm. way, are where you're writing very highly performant code and you want to hand optimize it and you're a ninja at this kind of stuff. Right, right. Um, so no, they didn't. Uh, they write it in languages like C and C++ and Rust and Swift and Objective-C and Python and JavaScript and all these great languages that allow us to express ourselves uh, using more human style approaches. Like where we can say this number plus this number equals, no, you wouldn't say that. You'd say A plus B equals X, you know, return X. If this number equals equals true or this value equals true rather, do, do Y. These, right. This is the way humans think rather than in this assembly flow. So, at the Inc, they've developed PyTeal. So PyTeal is taking a step up. So you're taking away from this assembly language and you're now in a more kind of human understandable language. So, so where does that leave us? Well, I should say, by the way, the reason assembly languages exist, because one, one might ask, well, why do we have this bloody step in between the, the ones and zeros and then the, 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 these instruction codes that I described? And right. the answer is assembly languages are useful for developing compilers and and certain debugging uh, applications and other things. So they are a very useful uh, step. But generally speaking, modern software is not written in these low-level languages. It's written in these high-level languages. So right. uh, Ethereum has a high-level language. It does what I just, just suggested. And, and Ethereum, by the way, has an assembly type thing, and it has the EVM, and has all the things that Algorand has. Mm -hmm. And they call it Solidity. And it feels yeah. like JavaScript. So they have Web2 devs, you know, I say Web2, as in guys who, guys and girls who are writing uh, websites, writing modern um, internet apps, and they're used to using JavaScript. So we want them to come to Algorand. We want to make Algorand a metropolis, right? I want this to be like a buzzing city of activity, a hive of activity. I want not just about value locked, but NFTs. I want uh, art. I want, you know, as, as much media and, and value and and interaction as possible on the chain. I want it to really feel alive. Yeah. And so to do that, we have to enable, we have to enable uh, an easier path for folks to come. Whether that's mm -hmm. a newbie to, who doesn't know any, any, any software, someone who's come from Web2 or traditional uh, computer apps, or indeed an experienced Web3 dev who just wants to try something different or wants to experience how fast and how cool Algorand is, we have to mm -hmm. make that transition less friction. -like. We can't have folks like that walk over coals to get to get to get onto Algorand, right? So, so PyTeal is, is is part of that part of that step. And okay, so I think I think the next step. So it's going to be a multi multi stage plan. The next step mm -hmm. is productizing how how PyTeal looks. So PyTeal mm -hmm. is great, um, but the experience of developing in PyTeal may be a little bit incoherent. And what I mean by that is, well, where do I type my code? Well, you type it in, you can type it in Notepad, or you can type it in Vim or Emacs, or you can if you're use Vim, by the way, or you can type it in VS Code. Uh, you know, a lot of people use VS Code. Well, I want to have top quality extensions for VS Code where folks can just type Algorand or PyTeal into the, into the extension browser, hit install, and they've got everything they like. Syntax highlighting, debugging, the whole lot. So mm. it's just a really easy experience. Mm. And then it's like, well, what else do we have? Well, how do you go from an idea to mainnet? So you've got an idea, you want to code it, you want to test it, you want to deploy it, you want to get it into mainnet. 
that needs to be kind of like single click. It needs to be as close to uh, the kind of Apple style experience of releasing an iPhone app as possible. You need to be able to do it on your iPad. You need to be able to do it anytime. So I want to kind of package a set of tools that make sense for people, that are coherent, that work well together. And maybe there's like five, six, seven things in that box. And together, they're going to be all the tools you need to build the sandcastle that is your app, right? I want to give them the bucket, the spade, the little kind of seashell thing to make the little things on top. I want to give them everything they need to make the greatest sandcastle the world has ever seen. And so that's what I want to do. I need That, that needs to be a coherent experience. And right now, I feel like people have to come. They've got to learn. You look over there, a bit of information over here. Oh, yeah. here's one tool. Great. You know, that needs to be more coherent. And that's what my focus is in the short term. In the longer term, I've got very exciting plans. I'm working with the Inc. They have even more exciting plans. And together, we're going to come up with a master plan that's going to be awesome. That sounds awesome. I mean, that's, you know, that's what, when I, when I go around and I talk to people from other chains or people that are technical, they're like, yeah, I mean, if I have a great reason to learn it, maybe I will. But like, otherwise it's just like, well, I'm just going to do what I've been doing because, you know, they're just going to stay at Ethereum or they're going to go to, you know, Avalanche or something like that, where it's just very easy for them to continue to go, you know? Sure. And I guess, right. Here's, here's, here's the reasons you should come over. Number one, we have an exponential growth of TVL. So there's more and more and more every single day people on Algorand because they've realized the truth, which is two, it's the fastest fit for purpose, most awesomest blockchain in the space. I like and number three, it, <laughs> what's it again? I was going to say, I like it, John. <laughs> I, like, I like it. I like it. Keep, keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and number three, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's about user experience. Like, it doesn't matter whether your app is iMessage, whether your app is is Netflix on, on your smart TV, or whether your app is, uh, you know, a, a decentralized exchange on a, on a fledgling cryptocurrency network. What matters is user experience. So people are not going to come back. If it takes 10 yeah. minutes for my video to load on Netflix, I'm not going to come back. If it takes yeah. a, week, a week for my swap to go through, I'm not trading on that pl platform anymore. When you go to Algorand, you have the following things. Speed, liveness, and low fees. And those three together, they're a killer. And that yeah. is why I think it's going to be the most exciting place to build your DAP. I think the real smart people are realizing now, I got to get into Algorand before, before everyone else does. Because first mover advantage, that coop is probably the most important thing. Get in now before yeah, it's too late. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and you know, Bitcoin is a good example of that first mover advantage, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to have to, to, to dry the tears of people uh, in, in a year's time who haven't built an algorithm and have missed that opportunity. I, I don't want to have to do that. So get in. No, now, don't. Nobody, don't make John dry your tears. Uh, <laughs> I mean, come on, you, you got, you're getting me excited. And that's, I mean, I'm already excited, but it is exciting, right? I mean, we have this FIFA partnership coming up. You you get these like huge, there's music and the, the potential for like the sporting experience, even at stadium. There's just so many, like there's cool things. And then there's those other things. And I want, I see you want to chime in. And then there's yeah. those other things where Algorand is actually fit to be in the background and you not even know that you're using blockchain. And that's uh, another important direction we're going, right? Yeah. I totally agree. And, and like FIFA is an example. And by the way, I have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> but, but, but if you if you were gonna guess, if you were gonna guess, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but speaking of speaking abstractly, if if you if your blockchain is selected by FIFA, it's selected for a reason. These people do their due diligence. But separate to that, you only want to engage with with, with, with with an organization of that magnitude. And, and that and that and that uh, you know that that scope, if 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 you're fit for purpose, again, if if your blockchain is able to deliver on the kind of applications that those folks want to build, and that's yeah. basically again why why I think Algorand's great, right? It's just the same theme coming up and over and over again, which is it's ready to go, it's ready, it's ready to build the types of things that we talk about building. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot a lot of ex a lot of kind of great partnerships in the space. Again, I think there's so much going on concurrently. I don't know what the you know what what the landscape's going to look like in two years, but it's going to be, I think, pretty pretty cool. Cool, cool. 
All right. Well, I know you have another meeting to get to. Oh man, I've got you way past. I am so sorry. That's okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, but so why don't we just finish with this? You, you, you promised, how did you get to, uh, how did you get to cryptography? And then we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll finish sure. it. There. All right. Okay. Sure. 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 So, um, I guess I'm trying to think what, what the kind of most important thing was. I've always been fascinated by the intersection of mathematics and, and computer engineering. And so I was terrible at math in school. Like, like, I mean, actually I did okay until like when I was a very small child and then, but when I went to secondary school, I didn't do very well at all. I didn't, I, maybe I just didn't have a good rapport with teachers or whatever, but I actually have learned, I've learned like advanced mathematics just on YouTube. Um, but I think I was just stunned by the reality that I could with two prime numbers that are randomly selected, I could take two prime numbers, then I'm talking about the RSA crypto system here, and I could multiply them together. And, and, and by doing so and selecting a public modulus and, and doing modular exponentiation, which are, there's a lot, a lot to that, but by just fundamentally, the only secret in this, in, the, in this system is two numbers. By taking two numbers, I could securely communicate with anyone in the world. I thought, wow, hang on. So you're telling me, you know, Excel, the Microsoft product can generate the, the, the seed for secure communications. I can use a dice uh, and generate, you know, uh, numbers that I can, I, I can use for secure communications globally. I mean, there's immense power in that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I look at, you know, the Germans in, in the World War and with Enigma and all of the, the, the engineering that went into that, that device and, and the, the, the level, the level of, of I guess, uh, of upside it gave them in, in, in the conflict. And then you look at, uh, at what was done by Turing in, in terms of solving Enigma and, and how the magnitude of the impact that that happened and how it changed history and how mathematics, like these silly numbers that kids don't like in school sometimes, was the difference between this, this universe and that universe. And so wow. that was a profound realization to me. I mean, maybe some people have this about other things, but I, I, about art or music or other things. I just I love that and and then once I got onto that line of thinking, I wanted to fundamentally understand these crypto systems and the trapdoor functions that belie them. And I'm happy to come on and talk about all this kind of stuff later. Mm -hmm. But learning elliptic curves again, I, I own uh, the elliptic curve crypto system again. I, I just I just found it so fascinating, and that then brought me to well, I see now how they use this in blockchain and then hashing functions and other things. And and really, I'm relatively self-taught. Taught, Rotter, I, I read a few books. I read uh, uh, Bruce Schneier's book, um, Applied Crypto, and I, I read uh, Jean-Philippe Amasson's uh, uh, modern uh, or serious cryptography. It's called, and it's very very modern take on cryptography. And, I, and uh, there's also Christoph Parr on YouTube. He does a, a course uh, in cryptography, um, and it's immense. But but anyway, my point is, I was never formally educated on it. But right. I have a, a fascination with it. And uh, yeah, it's just been wonderful. It's been wonderful for my career. It's been also wonderful for my understanding of, of how modern communications works. And I just, uh, yeah, I love it. Well, John, thank you so much. I'll let you get to your appointment, but I really appreciate this. I'm looking forward to our ability to collaborate on some of the more technical stuff in the future. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate you, your candor. And uh, I had a lot of fun. Thank you for joining me. Me too, Coop. Thanks. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Cheers.